Welcome to Art of the Kickstart, your source for crowdfunding campaign success. I'm your host, Roy Morjan, president of Inventus Partners, the top full-service turnkey product development and crowdfunding marketing agency in the world. We have helped startups raise over $100 million for our clients since 2010. Each week, I'll interview a crowdfunding success story, an inspirational entrepreneur, or a business expert in order to help you take your startup to the next level with crowdfunding. Art of the Kickstart is honored to be sponsored by Backerkit and The Gadget Flow. Backerkit makes software that crowdfunding project creators use to survey backers, organize data, and manage orders for fulfillment by automating your operations and helping you print and ship faster. The Gadget Flow is a product discovery platform that helps you discover, save, and buy awesome products. It is the ultimate buyer's guide for luxury gadgets and creative gifts. Now let's get on with the show. Welcome back to another edition of Art of the Kickstart. This week I'm back with Julio Terra, Director of Technology and Design at Kickstarter. He has many more great insights and tips to offer us, so let's get on with the show. So let's talk about rewards now. You know, we always get this question when we're talking to, you know, creators in terms of how many rewards should a campaign creator offer, whether that be, you know, initially when the campaign launches and at the end when all of their early birds or what have you are, are sold out. Any insights there? Yeah, I mean, I, I think our insights there is there isn't a clear number that we can say it's, you know, X number of rewards is the right number of rewards. I, I think what we, what, what we do recommend is one, you know, for creators to be, to be like wary of doing too many choices, giving people too many different choices when that's not warranted. You know, like, like what, we, what we find is that, you know, sometimes creators feel like it's really important to provide a lot of different, um, you know, options in an unwarranted way. And, and that can actually negatively, like just confuse people, you know, like if there's, if there's too many different options that they, ha- that they have to choose from, that can actually, you know, get in the way. Um, so one of the things that we see is sometimes, you know, with people wanting to do the early bird rewards and early bird rewards can be a great strategy is sometimes nowadays we've seen creators tr- start doing like multiple different tiers of early bird rewards. And they put all of those tiers up at the same time. So then all of a sudden they have, you know, they're offering a single product and they have, you know, tons of different, you know, like eight different reward tiers offering just a single product in a quantity of one and a quantity of two because they have three different early bird tiers. To us, I mean, I think there's a few things there. I think first, I have not seen the data that says that, that it is really that beneficial to do multiple early bird tiers. If you're going with an early bird strategy, I think people have been kind of taking this to the nth degree. You know, at first they would only do one early bird, then it went to two. Now I've seen creators do up to four. And, you know, I haven't seen any compelling reason to say that you should do up to four, you know. Uh, So I I think be mindful of if you're using early birds, be very strategic about it. The the recommendation we give to creators is if you're going to do that, you know, try to one, combine that with a, commu- with a community engagement strategy where you're, you know, trying to get the people who are already interested in your product, who you already know, get them excited to come to your project page early on the first day to take advantage of that. 
I think that's the one side of it, uh, rather than just putting an early bird out there without thinking about that activation aspect. And the other side is, you know, if you're going to do an early bird reward and you are going to offer your product on your project page for a lower amount, you should make sure that once that early bird sells out, it's actually provided sufficient momentum to make sense for having offered it, you know, because we sometimes see creators offering an early bird, but at such low quantities that even after all the early birds are sold out, they're only at 10% funded. And then, you know, that early bird doesn't have much of an impact in terms of driving momentum or getting people close to their goal. So we usually recommend that creators, if you're going to offer an early bird, make sure that your early birds will get you to, you know, at least 50% of your goal if they get sold out, if you're able to really get traction with them. The other thing that we'll say on, on rewards, you know, less talking about like the number of rewards that's ideal, more also like for, for campaigns that are, for creators that are doing product focused campaigns, in general, we recommend, you know, don't worry about doing a t-shirt or doing, you know, focus on the product. If your base product costs $200, your campaign is going to succeed or fail based on you getting backers to support and pleasure project for that base reward for $200. You know, that's not to say like if you want to offer a $1 pledge for people to follow along, we actually think that's a good idea because this is the only time in the world where people are going to pay you to be added to your email list. Most other times you're paying to add people to your email list. So having like a super low like one or two dollar get on our like stay up to date on how things are going, that is a is, is a way to kind of invite people in a nice way. But to have like then, you know, the uh, $25 t-shirt and then the, you know, $30 coffee mug or we don't see those as much anymore. But that's something that I consistently for creators who are doing product focused campaigns, really focus on your product and getting traction there because that's really what's going to make an impact, not these secondary rewards. Yeah, that was definitely one of the questions I wanted to follow up with you on. Do you see a difference in terms of backers preferring to see a percentage off in terms of an early bird or a reward or potentially dollars saved in reward copy? Do you see a difference there in, say, conversion rates? Um, I do not, and, and, uh, but I, I do not, uh, to be honest, we have, have not investigated that closely. It's, that data is not that easy to get at because it's not captured in a structured format, so it's harder for us to pull and, and, and do a, a thorough analysis of that. So I don't have clear guidance in terms of, um, of what, like which of those approaches would be better. Got it. Do you have an average in terms of conversion rates for the categories that you work specifically in on the technology and design side? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I think we've seen that, and again, this conversion rate, you know, fluctuates, and, uh, but like, We've seen it uh, for the most part over the last year, you know, fluctuate from about, you know, 0.9 to 0.7%. So a little bit under 1% is what we've seen the fluctuation be. And, and of course, on a project level, I just want to stress that can, you know, uh, vary wildly. Like we've seen products, you know, that have conversion rates, uh, you know, several, like at 3, 4%, all the way down to products with conversion rates at 0. You know, one uh, percent or, or lower. It, it, it you know it depends a lot on on the product. It depends a lot on you know like I mean it, by in general we see products with higher uh, that are more expensive have a lower conversion rate. You know that's not to say that that's always the case, but I think it's because they're a more considered purchase, so people 
often need to come back to the project page multiple times before they're able to convert. That it's not something that it's not such a compulsive purchase. But um, but yeah, so I just wanted to to you know make it clear that you know those are averages, but it varies widely, right? Widely, yeah. So what what would be some of the most creative rewards that you've ever seen? <laughs> um, you know, that's really, I, I will be honest, the most creative rewards that we see tend not to be product-focused campaigns. They tend to be more in um, film, art, and those areas because th- then you, you get a lot of really interesting experiential rewards. Like one of my favorite rewards ever uh, was from this, um, you know, artist filmmaker called Pez and he does these you know stop motion animations that are really amazing and his you know the the short film that he was funding was called uh sub and it was about this kind of funny this funny animation kind of bringing together the the, the idea of sub as a sandwich and sub as a submarine but you know one of the rewards was that you would actually go to with him to his favorite sub shop and have a sub with him so you know, like you have some really fun things like that. Uh, in the product world, you know, in general, we don't see, you know, as many fun things. We see like in, in, in the world of like educate, like edutech, like education toy, like STEM toys, you see some nice rewards sometimes around, um, you know, education experiences or, you know, classroom experiences, um, you know, things of that nature that are, that are pretty awesome. Uh, in the graphic design uh, projects, occasionally you see some, you know, um, graphic design studios offering actually, you know, services. I mean, in the, there was this project called Font Awesome 5, which is Font Awesome is this really amazing icon toolkit that is made for web designers. And so they had all these reward tiers where you could add, you know, your company logo or just your own design little mark to their official like font awesome set, which I thought was pretty cool. So yeah, those are some of the, the I think the ones that, that come to mind. I figured you might've gone down the path of potato salad with Mr. Zach Danger Brown, <laughs> but food, <laughs> food nonetheless. <laughs> so that one of the questions, yeah, I mean, one of the questions we always get is, you know, what should a creator do if their funding has slowed down? And of course, we typically see this, you know, after that initial launch and everybody's really excited about it. And then it kind of reaches the middle of the campaign and news can be slow. Updates can be slow. Backing can be slow. Any, any advice you could give to a creator if their funding has slowed down in the middle of their campaign? Um, yeah, there's a few things. And I, I think, you know, this, the, the unfortunate thing is that Unfortunately, there is no silver bullet. There is no tried and true thing that you can do that will work across the board. The second, you know, uh, this is, I think, good news for people who are planning a project, not good news for people who are already running a project. Uh, the, I think that the best thing that you can do is planning before you launch, uh, you know, is to actually brainstorm ideas and like schedule like press outreach and community events, you know, during your project or, or things that you I, like create ideas that you, you kind of tee up to activate while the project is live. When you reach these lull moments, you know, that's, that's where um, like you can have the most impact is by having these kind of tools that you're, you have ready to pull out. But with all that said, a few things that you can do. First off, you know, uh, like one of the things that the new tool that we've 
released uh, called Kickstarter Live lets you do live streams. And we've seen more and more creators use that as a way to engage community. Uh, Because again, finding ways to keep your community engaged and keeping your project top of mind for them and keeping them excited about your project uh, is the best way to get them to to share about what you're doing. And I think the way that I see most creators trying to get their community to share about their project is by writing short updates that, you know, don't really tell their community anything new and interesting, and then just ask that community to share about the project. Um, And as you can imagine, you know, maybe even a few members of their community might be willing to do that, but they're not doing that because they all of a sudden have been re-engaged and are excited again in, in in the project. They're doing that in a half-hearted way based on the request of the creator. Uh, what we see being most compelling is, you know, and this again, it gets to why it's important to plan early is, you know, if you have really interesting bits of information, uh, that you can share with, with your backers along that journey, you know, and the Kickstarter live becomes a way that you can kind of, you know, connect with your backers in an engaging way. That's what is what will keep them excited and what might get them to share about it because the excitement is what's going to drive people to share about your project. The other thing that you can do is, you know, media outreach. You know, media outreach is something that um, can have an impact and it's something that takes a lot of effort, you know. And, and again, both of these things, you know, sending updates, reaching out to media, you know, I, I think, I think the, 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 the feedback we always get from creators is like, oh, but I'm, I'm, you know, I'm already so busy doing all these other things. Like the fact is there is no super easy turnkey thing you can do at that point, which is again why like if early on you had already done some of the pre-work and planning around media outreach, you already knew who are the journalists who you try to reach out to, who maybe showed some level of interest or who you know covers the type of work that you're doing but hadn't written about you yet, this is a moment for you to you know, try to reach out to them again with an update about your campaign, doing it in a very you know, kind of respectful and uh, in a way that shows that you understand what that person cares about. You know, that's like, so you have community outreach, uh, media outreach to activate uh, that. And I think that, you know, the other two things that you have, and and this is one like the Peak Design team, which is one of the most prolific creators on Kickstarter. One of the amazing things that they do is throughout their campaign, they're constantly engaging their community to continue to optimize their project page. Like the actual narrative on their project page they continue to update it throughout the, the funding period. And, you know, and that's definitely something that you know, has worked for some creators. Most creators don't do that. Um, and then the last thing is, you know, if you are doing, if digital advertising is part of your strategy, you know, sometimes we see creators being able to drive some additional you know, pledges via that. Of course, that's paid media. So you know, some of these other things, I mean, they're, they're paid from the standpoint that somebody on your team has to do a lot of legwork. And I mean, all these things require effort, but, you know, digital advertising is actual hard cash that you're paying to buy that media. But if you know what your costs are, your cost structure is, and you can afford it, it can, it's definitely something that can be a valuable tool for you to use at that point. Indeed. So on the opposite side of the paid media, in terms of the owned media, what are your thoughts or do you guys recommend doing cross promotions or cross collaborations with other project creators? Um, we do think that, that like there's a, a, a place for that. Um, I think, you know, you don't want to abuse that. You know, I think, I think this gets to the problem that I mentioned earlier about updates. And I think 
one of the, the, the unfortunate things that we see creators that, that, that happen sometimes is, you know, updates from projects, rather than becoming actually interesting information about that project, become a request to share the project, followed by a bunch of cross-promotion. And, you know, the risk that you're doing there is, you know, you're ultimately turning your community off from looking at your updates. If all they're seeing is cross-promotion and requests for you to take, for the backer to take action, but they're not, but the backer is not getting anything out of that uh, two-way street, you're ultimately, you know, burning a bridge uh, with your backer. So, um, so I think, you know, while cross-promotion we think can be meaningful and, and we, we love to see creators collaborate, we do, um, you know, caution creators both in terms of protecting their own backers and not just trying to, you know, uh, milk that, uh, you know, that audience that they have like built into their product, project, but also to, you know, as they're looking for uh, creators for, to, for cross-promotion, really, you know, look hard for creators that are doing things you know, that maybe are targeted to a similar audience or that there are clear lines of, um, you know, there, there are clear similarities. Maybe there are two products that are very different, but they both have a really similar design sensibility or something like that, you know, or there are two uh, cooking products that might do very different things or there. So that's, you know, I think it can be a good tool, but you, you want to be mindful of not abusing it. Absolutely. No, I'm in f- full agreement with that statement. Um, so, of course, we have clients all the time that ask us, and I'm sure they ask you all the time even more, how can we be a project we love, Julio? What, what's your advice there? So, um, absolutely. I mean, that, that's something, you know, that's great. I mean, to us, it shows that, you know, our features matter, and, and we can see that on the, on the back end, uh, that they can have an impact. There's a few things, you know, that, that I think creators can do, you know, on one end, like, Starting where I, one of the statements that I, that I briefly mentioned earlier, like our team here, like we really look at Kickstarter as a place to bring things to life and we'd like to celebrate the creative process. So, you know, if we see a project that is actually doing that in a, in a, like a real way where they're not just treating Kickstarter as a, you know, pre-order platform, but they are looking at Kickstarter as a platform where they are raising money and engaging a community in this creative process. That is something that our curation team, you know, often gets excited about. Um, so that's, that's the first thing. I think the next thing, you know, we do look for projects that are really well put together, you know, that have uh, a narrative that's well structured, that has copy that's well written, uh, and that has images, you know, and, and a design that's, you know, just well put together. And, and I, and I, you know, like that doesn't mean like as I said before, like it doesn't mean that it has to be designed by a, a fancy designer. Just like you know, use of fonts, the quality of of the of the pictures, and all those things, you can tell that somebody put some love and care into that. So that's the, that's the next thing, you know. So like having you know a high quality narrative and, and and project page. You know, the other thing, you know, one of the of the things, of course, and this is the hardest. Uh, maybe of them all is that, you know, even if you have a project that, that does meet, you know, that, that shares, like that embraces this openness and sharing of, the, of their journey and their experience, and that does do a good job of like creating a, a well-written, uh, well-designed product page, you know, if you're creating a product where there's a lot of competing products out there, 
you know, there's a point at which, you know, our curation team gets very picky, you know, in terms of like, just one example is watches. You know, we have a huge community of watches on Kickstarter. You know, an interesting fact is that on most months, watches is the most searched term on Kickstarter. So because we have so many watches on Kickstarter, you know, our curation team is very picky on what watches they will staff pick because there are so many. And so I, I think it's important to keep in mind if, if you're doing a product in an area where there's a lot of competition, you know, because, you know, our curation team is ultimately trying to pick, you know, what do they think are the best projects from that community? So that level of competition will impact, you know, your project's likelihood of getting staff pick because then your project is not just that it has to look great, but it has to stand above all the other ones in that area. Absolutely. So what would be your number one piece of advice for someone thinking of launching a Kickstarter project? You know, the number one piece of advice is just, you know, do your homework and planning before you launch. You know, once the clock starts going, time goes very fast and you don't have a lot of time to, you know, like you just don't have a lot of time. If you, if you hadn't planned and prepared things, as I was saying earlier, like once your, your things are going, you're answering questions, answering comments, you're trying to get the word out. It's like things move so fast that at that point, it's usually too late to stem the tide if things are not going well. So preparation is really, I think, the most important thing. Um, and that preparation involves, you know, like start by doing research and backing a few products if you haven't already. Uh, then, you know, really create a plan and, you know, uh, start planning months and months before you, you launch. Don't, you know, wait until the last minute. Like that, that really can make or break your chances of, uh, of success. So I'll stop there because I could say much more, but <laughs> I think that's the... No, super solid advice. A wise member on my team said, fortune favors the prepared. And it's certainly yeah. the case, especially with crowdfunding nowadays. You know, on, on, on the presentation that I have, there's one quote that is like, by failing to prepare, you're preparing to fail. You know, I think that's, that's how I think about it. All right, Julio, this gets us into our launch round where I'm going to rapid fire some questions at you and you can give me a short or as long answer as you want. You good to go? Let's do it. So what inspired you to work with entrepreneurs? You know, I've actually always been a huge fan of design and I think design and technology, you know, I, I went to grad school uh, with one of the, the founders of the Arduino project. And so then I got really into kind of this boundary of where like product design meets technology. So uh, that, you know, this world of like exploring this, I mean, world of connected devices was something that I was really, really interested in and excited about doing more on the prototyping side, less on the entrepreneurial side before coming to Kickstarter. And, um, and then when the opportunity, you know, arose to, for me to come to Kickstarter, it was just a no brainer, you know, I mean, I definitely, I love entrepreneurship, but you know, I, I like for me, just like creativity and design, um, using technology in creative ways. Those are the things that like really inspire me. I, I find like entrepreneurship is, is, is a really interesting way how it slots into all of that. But I think that's my first passion, you know, beyond uh, entrepreneurship. So if you could have a glass of wine with any entrepreneur throughout history, who would it be? Ooh, that's a, that's a really hard one. Um, you know, th any entrepreneur throughout history, I mean, I would probably have to pick, you know, a very standard one. I think 
or more of an inventor uh, than entrepreneur, uh, Tesla. You know, Elon Musk is, is probably not far behind, but th- those are probably the two uh, that, that, that I would think about first. So what would have been your first question for Mr. Tesla? <laughs> oh, man, that's a, uh, that's a really... I, I, I would, I would want to talk about his, his like, work practices. Like, I'm really into like, the practice of how things get done. And so like, you know, as an inventor, like, how do you go about creating the space in your life for inventing? Like, you know, is it a very process-heavy thing or is it something more an inspiration-driven thing? So that, that's really where I would start the conversation. What's your favorite Kickstarter project of all time? You know, um, right now, you know, this shifts a little bit. Right now, I'm really into a project called Moon. It's a project that was funded early last year, and they just delivered the rewards earlier this year by a French creator. Uh, his name is Oscar. And uh, it's just, you know, the most accurate lunar reproduction ever made. This creator actually, you know, he got all these photos from NASA, these super high-res photos of the face of the moon, and spent, you know, these were two-dimensional flat photos and spent months and months mapping those onto a sphere to create this, you know, this model. And then he, you know, from this 3D model that he created, he's gone on to de- develop this beautiful product. I'll let, I'll let your listeners look it up. Uh, just search for Moon and Oscar and you'll, you'll find it. Nice. What uh, book, uh, whether it be business or life book, would you recommend to our audience of inventors and entrepreneurs? Hmm. Um, let me think about that for a second. Um, Hmm. Business or life books. You know, there's, there's, you know, so many, you know, good stuff. I mean, again, I, I really like a lot of uh, design books, you know, books that kind of look at, at the design process and whatnot. I mean, there's, there's this book called Designing Interactions, if I recall correctly, which was, um, you know, has interviews, short interviews with all these, you know, luminaries of, interaction design, um, you know, and all these kind of people from the early days of IDEO, like Bill, Bill Mordridge and, and Alan Kay and, um, you know, just really inspirational people who I think um, designed a lot of the, the, the technologies that now we take for granted and that now are like the foundation for a lot of the, the computers and, and phones and whatnot that we use on a day-to-day basis. So that's one where, you know, it just gives you a lot of like these little glimpses into how all these different, you know, great designers think, great modern designers. So, so when do you think Kickstarter will hit $5 billion pledged to projects? <laughs> uh, that's, uh, you know, I would say I like maybe in about, yeah, I, I'd hope in about a year, year, year and a half tops. That's my, my prediction. So you're currently at about 13.5 million backers to the platform. When do you think Kickstarter will hit 100 million backers? Ooh, that's, um, you know, that's going to take a little bit longer. I would say, you know, we're, we're, not, we're not in a growth path or, 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 or even trajectory or desiring to be in, in like a Facebook type way. So I, I think that's going to take at least five years. You know, I, I think if we can, I mean, it, it, it we're trying to work on some things to kind of speed that up, especially as we're kind of rolling out internationally a little bit more. So I think five years is a very ambitious projection for that. So I, I think that's more of a wish than an actual <laughs> uh, prediction. 
or, so, or more, more of, a, of a mission or goal than a, an actual prediction. We're doing our best to drive more and more new backers to the site every day. We appreciate it. <laughs> All right, I'm going to put you on your toes here. Who do you think is going to be the next CEO of Kickstarter? <laughs> Oh, no, that one I'm going to have to pass. <laughs> Are you going to be the next CEO of Kickstarter? Was that something that would interest you? <laughs> um, you know, um, the answer to that question is I will not be the next CEO of Kickstarter. Is that something that would interest me? You know, I think right now, um, right now, no. In, in the future, I think that, that, that is something that, that, that I could be interested in. But right now, I think I'm not the right, um, the right person for that for that role um, at the moment. Fair enough. All right, last question in the launch round. I'll let you off. What does <laughs> the future of crowdfunding look like? Oh, that's a, that's a really interesting one. I think, you know, I think the future of crowdfunding is actually, you know, expanding beyond crowdfunding. I think it's, you know, in, in many ways, like, we're seeing, you know, different countries adopt crowdfunding in different ways where, you know, in some places it's moving to almost like a pre-sale type of, of, uh, of place, which, which that's fine. I, I think for us, you know, the, the question that, that's really more interesting in some ways is not just what's the future of crowdfunding, but what's, what's the future of helping creators bring people to life, bring uh, products to life? Because, you know, crowdfunding helps creator in a very specific point in their trajectory. And in many ways, I think crowdfunding, you know, is maturing in a really nice way. I think it's going to continue to mature. It's going to continue to have, you know, a, a stronger ecosystem built around it to help creators and different, you know, to, to, to raise more money and to prepare better and things like that. I think, you know, as I'm thinking for the design and tech category and for the role that Kickstarter will, will play in this category, like I like to think of like, what can we do beyond just this, you know, period of time, you know, and helping creators raise money in this small sliver, um, you know, and, and a lot of what I like to think about from that perspective is, is around community and how can we find additional ways? Because, you know, Kickstarter is known a lot for money and people think about it a lot for money. But one of the things that we're most passionate about is, you know, bringing communities together, the creators together with backers, you know, and so uh, as we think about how we can could have more of an impact in the long, long-term success of creators, you know, is a lot about thinking, how can we help creators engage with a community in a longer-term way? Whether that's before what, what is now seen as the moment for creators to crowdfund or after what's seen now as the moment to crowdfund. So I didn't really answer your question, but, but more just to kind of share a little bit of our perspective that, you know, when we look at ourselves, we don't think of ourselves as a crowdfunding company. We think of ourselves as a company that help creators bring things to life. So we're actually wanting more and more, you know, we don't have anything yet out there, but, but a lot of the thinking that we're doing is how we can help creators beyond this, this place where we've become very established. Absolutely. Julio, this has been awesome. I know our audience is going to love this. As always, please give our audience your pitch, tell them what you're all about, where people should go, and why they should go launch a project on Kickstarter. Great. Uh, thanks, Roy. Yeah. And, you know, Kickstarter is just, you know, an amazing way to, you know, transform your idea, your prototype into a company, into a, uh, you know, to build a community around what you're doing, to, to raise money to really kind of bring that to life. And, you know, I think we've, we've spent 
you know, since we were we started in 2009, I mean, I think one of our overriding focuses has been to, you know, create a community that is passionate about supporting people bringing things to life. You know, I think that that's one of the core things that I think differentiates Kickstarter from, you know, other avenues that that, you know, startups and creators have to bring products to life. And, um, you know, this is something we're going to continue to do and continue to, you know, take this to the next level. Um, for anyone who's interested in learning more about Kickstarter, the first step is going on our site, checking out projects and backing projects. And, you know, we have a lot of great resources there as well for, for people who are thinking of launching a project. The last tip I'll give for people who are on the fence of launching a project, you know, it's always great. Try launch something small, you know, dip your feet in, launch something that's, you know, you'll, you'll learn tons. And, you know, and from there, you can get more ambitious with your ideas and get more ambitious with, you know, your projects, uh, get more ambitious with the way you engage community, the way you bring community into your process. And so, you know, I mean, our goal is, again, to continue to help people make things. We think that, like, helping people, like, making things, whether it's movies, products, and whatnot, those are some of the things that make, make life worth living, you know, like, those are the, a lot of the things that make life special. So, you know, our, we're going to continue to, you know, be here to, to champion the work of creators from across all these disciplines. And we hope to see a lot of the, you know, your audience members, uh, people who are listening here today. Um, we hope to see a lot of you on Kickstarter, not just backing projects, but, you know, even more importantly, making stuff. Absolutely. Julio, this has been a phenomenal audience. Thank you again for tuning in. I know you enjoyed it as much as I did. Make sure to visit artofthekickstart.com for all the show notes, a full transcript, links to everything we talked about today. And of course, thank you to our crowdfunding podcast sponsors, The Gadget Flow and Backerkit. Julio, thank you again for joining us on Art of the Kickstart. My pleasure, Roy. Thank you very much. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Art of the Kickstart, the show about building a business, world, and life with crowdfunding. If you've enjoyed today's episode, awesome. Make sure to visit artofthekickstart.com and tell us all about it. There you'll find additional information about past episodes, our Kickstarter guide to crushing it. And of course, if you love this episode a lot, leave us a review at artofthekickstart.com slash iTunes. It helps more inventors, entrepreneurs, and startups find this show and helps us get better guests to help you build a better business. If you need more hands-on crowdfunding strategy advice, please feel free to request a quote on inventuspartners.com. Thanks again for tuning in, and we'll see you again next week.